It's great to have guests with us today. We are moving through the book of Ephesians. Would you take a moment to open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter two, remove the outlines from your bulletins. We will utilize them for sure. And while you're doing that, I wanna make mention of a couple of things. This Tuesday night is the last step for final approval of our permission to go forward on our building expansion, meeting with the city council members at 7 p.m., but right here on our campus at 6 p.m., on the patio, we're gonna have a prayer meeting because we know that we can't do anything in our own strength. So we're gonna seek the Lord, ask that we would represent him well to our city leaders and that we might find favor. So if you're available, we'd love to have you join us. But even if you're not, would you please stop in that time frame and pray and seek God's help for us? And then also the Brooches, one of our missionary families that actually serve in Cuba, are here for just a few short weeks. And so they're gonna be with us after the service out on holy grounds. If you haven't met them, go spend some time with them. I tell you, you will be so encouraged and blessed by the window of time of getting to know them. So that being said, let me transition to our message today and ask you the question, have you ever had an upgrade? For example, maybe you went to McDonald's, you ordered the value meal, and the girl at the counter said, would you like to supersize it? You wanna upgrade it? And you're like, yeah, more French fries for sure. But of course, in that upgrade, it came with a cost. I'm talking about an upgrade that didn't cost you anything. I mentioned last month that Monica and I had the privilege to go away for our anniversary, and we went up to Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. And of course, we had to rent a car. And being the cheap guy that I am, I got the compact. That's like a, it's like a lunchbox on wheels. And so when we get there to the rental car agency and I get to the counter, the lady on the other side says, Mr. French, we're going to upgrade you. And I'm thinking that means we're moving from a lunchbox to maybe like a, a moving box or something with wheels. And she says, no, 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 I'm going I'm to I'm upgrade you to this. Let me show you what she put us in. Uh-huh. I'm like, wait, you're kidding. She goes, no, would you like to drive a, a high-scale luxury SUV with leather interior hybrid and a convertible that comes off. And I'm like, would I? I said, how much is it going to cost me? She said, it's free. It's our gift to you. Uh-huh. <laughs> By grace. Let me show you a passage that we looked at last week and tie this into what we're going to see today. Would you read it out loud with me? It's Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. Let's say it together. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. So going back to my illustration, literally, I could not afford that Jeep. But grace granted me that amazing gift. And the same thing is true for every single one of us. Not a single person in the room or online could afford salvation. There's not enough money in the bank for us to buy our way into heaven. And so Jesus Christ looked at us and realized our difficulty and our plight. And he said, by mercy and grace, I will grant you salvation. You and I are recipients of a divine upgrade. And Paul is going to restate that idea with the hope that by emphasizing it, it would elevate our joy, it would deepen our understanding, and our gratitude would grow for the God of the universe that's shown us such amazing kindness. So as I said, we're going to be studying verses 6 through 10. 
Paul is going to give us of the long list, a short list of three ways that God gifts us with his grace. As we read, see if you can discern what those things are. And if you will help me to honor the Lord by standing, I would be encouraged by that. Ephesians chapter two, beginning in verse six, Paul wrote, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Thank you, may be seated. Every gift is a gift of grace. Every gift is a gift from grace. God bestows to us his kindness and his, great, his goodness through the vehicle of grace. And so in the larger context where we left off last week, Paul made that statement, you have been saved by grace. And he's gonna come back and restate that idea to emphasize it. But it's important that we have context. So if you're just joining us today, if we were to back up to the end of chapter one, we would be reminded that Paul began by saying, I'm praying so that you would understand the magnitude of God's love for you. And one of the ways that he presented that was saying that Jesus Christ was raised back from the dead through the power of the Spirit. He was resurrected. And we're gonna revisit that idea in this section. But he went on to say that when he was resurrected, ultimately, he was placed at the right hand of the Father. And we understood that Sunday that that communicated that Christ Jesus has complete authority. The fact that he came back from the dead has positioned him to be in control over all existence. That means he's in control of all of human affairs, including your lives. But as we understand that, it comes out of, again, this goodness of God, his love and his mercy for us. And so in that place, Paul went on to explain that Jesus Christ, because he has authority, has the right and authority to show you mercy. Nobody can say, you don't deserve God's mercy. I know what you did. I know what a sinner you are. No, Jesus Christ has the right to say, I have earned the right to show mercy to whom I will show mercy. And you and I are the recipients of that great authority. But as Paul transitioned in the beginning of chapter two, he reminded us that there was a time where we were actually under God's wrath. We were enemies of God. He took us back to that time when we lived apart from the Lord and when our lives actually represented those that were deserving punishment. But he did that so that we would come back to this idea, even at this place in our lives, that God deserves our worship because he has shown such amazing grace to us. And now he's gonna to point to that in the aspect of salvation with expectations that we're gonna to respond to that. So here's the first thing that you're going to see that he tells us that grace has gifted us with. If you'd write it down, is that God's grace has gifted us with honor. Let me show you from the text and then help you to understand what that means to you, the benefit that it has for you today. Going back to verse two, or excuse me, verse six in chapter two. Paul said, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. 
God raised us up with Christ. If you're taking notes, you can write down 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Another passage that Paul pinned. And the reason he wrote this extended passage is that people in Corinth were feeling insecure. In some cases, their loved ones had passed away. It might have been a mom or a dad or a sibling or even a child. And they come back to Paul and they say, how do we really know that our loved ones are in heaven? Or maybe some of them were ill and they knew that they were standing near death's door. And they said, Paul, as we're realizing that we're coming to the end of this life, how do we really know that there's something beyond the door of death? And so Paul takes them all the way back to the gospel. He says to them, you remember what I told you in the very beginning, that Jesus Christ, the son of God, came to this earth and in doing so, he lived among us and he lived a sinless life. But then he was crucified by evil men. He was buried for three days. But on the third day, he came back to life. He was resurrected. And then he went on to assure them that there's evidence to this resurrection. He said, all the apostles saw him, including me. And then he went on to say, and at one point, there were 500 witnesses that saw him at one time. As he presented this evidence, it wasn't just relevant to the first century listeners, it's relevant to all of you. The resurrection message is not just for Easter Sunday, it's for every day of your life. Because Paul will go on in that same chapter and he will say that if Jesus Christ did not come back from the dead, you and I are a bunch of fools. If we believe and have put our hope in a dead savior, then we're idiots, that's literally what he's saying. But he said, that is not the case. Jesus Christ did come back from the dead, and if Christ came back from the dead, he was resurrected, then you and I have a hope in the same way. And he says, put your hope and your faith on this reality. That longer argument is exactly what he's saying right here. When he comes back, this idea that we have been raised with Christ, it's a reminder to say that this is not your life, that your life has been given to you and there's an assurance of heaven for you. No matter how hard it gets for you, no matter what the difficulties are today, you have a hope in eternity that cannot be taken away from you. But he didn't stop there. Go back and look at the second thing that he said. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us, no, and seated us with him and Christ in the heavenly realms. What is he talking about? He seated us in the heavenly realms. I don't know about you, but I'm looking at all of you here today, and it seems like you're seated at Cornerstone Bible Church at 400 North Glendora. Doesn't look like you're seated in the heavenly realms. Was that just kind of a flowery idea to, to inspire us? Not at all. If you go back to what I reminded you about Christ's ascension and the emphasis of Christ's authority, that Christ being seated at the right hand gives him authority and it gets honor. And when he used that statement, he's saying that you and I, when we put our faith in Christ, have been put into a position and a place of honor. You still with me? Haven't lost you? So let me go a little bit deeper on this, this theological idea so that we can experience it. I've told you before that in the English language, we have past, present, and future verb tenses. But in the Greek, there are six different verb tenses. One of them I shared three weeks ago is the aorist tense. There's no way to translate it into English. When we look at seated, it gives this past tense idea. But when in fact the aorist tense means that something was fully accomplished in the past, but it has ongoing implications. 
So if the general idea is honor that comes from Christ, what he's saying is that when Christ Jesus ascended back into heaven, at that point as honor was given to him, then those that put their faith in him, that honor would be bestowed to them. So the moment that you were converted, the moment you said yes to trusting Jesus, you immediately were given honor. And you are living in a place, and this is a problem that why Paul is saying is that we don't live in that place of realizing the great honor we have as the children of God. So there's the basic theological idea. Let's go a little bit further to grasp and understand it. To do so, let me reread verse six and then read verse seven. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's a long statement, but the summary of it is, is that God has done this for us so that we can be witnesses or testimonies. The coming age, that represents you and I, that those that would believe that through that there would be a witness. Let me back up to where we were at in Nehemiah. I said over and over that the nation of Israel was given this responsibility to represent God, to represent Yahweh, and that when the other nations saw how God blessed them when they obeyed Yahweh, that the other nations would say, your God is the true God, and we want to follow Yahweh. We know that they failed miserably. But at that time, I explained that in the new covenant where we live, it's the same responsibility that we have been given the blessing of Christ Jesus and the responsibility to be his witnesses throughout the world. That as God's grace, his riches and grace is poured out on us, others would look and say, wow, I wanna know your God. I wanna follow this Jesus. But here's the difficulty that I oftentimes see is that there are a number of Christians that have put their faith in the Lord, but their assumption about blessing and grace is that life is gonna be easy that there's gonna be no problems, that everything's gonna go beautifully. But then there's a diagnosis of cancer, or there's an illness, or there's a divorce, or there's a child that's on drugs and addicted, and, and they start looking and saying, how is this any better? How is God blessing? And we've misunderstood, and we've forgotten that Jesus himself said, Cornerstone family, in this world, you will have trouble. Just like the rest of the world, Sin is gonna affect our lives. It's gonna bring hurt and suffering. But in this world, we will have troubles, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. What was Jesus saying? He's saying the difference between you and those that have not put their faith in me is that though you have the same issues and problems, you have my grace to strengthen you and guide you through those so that others would say, your response when your child is ill is very different than mine. Your ability to move forward when you lost your job and believe that there's some hope is very different than how I feel when I lost my job. And what Jesus is wanting us to see that in the midst of those trials, that we bear witness of the riches of his grace. And others will see that and say, I want to have that same faith, that same trust in God. So as we understand the basic element, let's see how it applies to our lives. Let me tell you a story as the picture comes on the screen. So this is Courtney and Quincy Scully. So Courtney and Jeremiah came to our church way back in 2018. At the time, they had six children, and they had just given birth a year before to triplets, the last three. 
And in August of 2018, we had the privilege of dedicating these three beautiful little girls. But one month later, Quincy here was diagnosed with neuroblastoma, a very aggressive cancer. And when it's found in children, there's less than a 50% chance of survival. Immediately, little Quincy at 18 months old was placed in the hospital for an entire year. She had a tumor on her little spine. She had to have surgery. Then she went through chemotherapy, then through radiation, and then she went through immunotherapy. I want to praise God today that at six years of age, Quincy is cancer-free. But imagine, imagine many of you here have children. Many of you have grandchildren. What if you received the news at 18 months age that your child could potentially die in the next few months? And there's a, a high likelihood they're not going to make it through all this treatment. You see, Courtney and Jeremiah, while she was in hospital for 12 months, trusted the Lord. And they pressed into their church family and those that strengthened them. What's so amazing about their story is that back in 2021, it was actually two years ago this month, they were prepared to move to North Carolina with their six children. And I mentioned how there were the triplets at the end. Well, right above them were twins. And one of those twins was Mia. And two years ago this month, she was diagnosed with leukemia. Imagine having one child with cancer. Now you're going through it with two. You already know the journey. You already know the heartache and pain. As this news began to spread nationally and literally internationally of this family of six where two kids have had cancer, Courtney and Jeremiah began to be interviewed by news stations across the land. There were cancer treatment statements that wanted to know their story. They wanted to understand how could this happen? This is so unusual. And every time they were interviewed, they had the blessing and the privilege to share their faith. National TV, Courtney would say, it's only by God's grace and his strength that's enabled our family to get through this trial. Well, one of the things that happened through this national news is that Make-A-Wish Foundation heard about it. You've heard of that foundation, right? They heard about their story, and they said, we want to bless you. We want to show grace to you, and we want to take your entire family of eight and give you a week at Walt Disney World, and we're going to put you up in a nice hotel, and you can spend the whole week going there. Can you imagine these six kids, <laughs> the three youngest that are five years of age, and then the older ones are going, What? Walt Disney World for the whole week? So when you think about that analogy through their suffering and their difficulty, this foundation said, we want to bless you. We, our hearts are for you. That's the same picture that Christ did for us. Christ looked into our predicament. He looked down the quarters of time. He saw that in our families, there would be cancer, there'd be death, there'd be divorce, there'd be brokenness. And out of his great love and mercy, he said, I will go to earth and I will then resolve their predicament and I will give them grace. I will show them eternal life. Not just a week at the happiest place on earth, but eternity in the most glorious place in all of creation. That, in essence, is what he's saying. So you come back to saying, okay, well, how is that honor? I want to make this assertion. Problems pale in the light of Christ's preparation. Can I say that again? 
your problems pale, pale in the light of Christ's preparation. He said in John 14, behold, I go away to prepare a place for you. If it were not so, I would tell you. For 2,000 years, he has been in heaven preparing a place for you and I for ultimate destination. But going back to the idea of this verb being an heiress, it isn't just when we get to heaven, it's an idea that we have honor today. Please write down 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I'm going to reference that passage again in the next point. But the reason I'm referencing it now is that Peter, when he's talking about our suffering, what Christ has done for us, he will begin by saying that you are a chosen people. Cornstone family, God chose you individually. He picked you. And the next thing he'll go on to talk about is that you become the family members of God. You are sons and daughters of the Most High. Imagine thinking about the fact that you have been invited and chosen and brought into the family of God, the kind of honor that comes with that. But he didn't stop there. As he went on to talk about who we are, he said, we're a holy people. We've been set apart, that we've been given the righteousness of Christ, that we represent him. And then he finishes by saying, you are a royal priesthood. You, every single one of you, if you put your faith in Christ, you are a royal priest that represents Christ in the world the very way that we're talking about. I don't know about you, but on a weekly basis, I am humbled with the idea that the God of the universe would entrust me with his sacred message and to deliver that. At different times when people have shared certain things, like they're pregnant or there's something that's happening in their lives, and they're like, don't tell anybody. I'm like, why would you say that? (laughs) But I feel so honored, don't you? When all of a sudden somebody shares something with you that's so important, that's so personal, and says, at the right time, I'm going to let you share this good news. This is what God has done for us. And that's what Paul is indicating when he talks about we've been seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. We have been given honor to carry out this message and this calling. So tomorrow, as it's on your outline and it comes on the screen, I want you to spend some time reflecting on this particular question. How does the assurance of your eternal honor encourage you? Go back and look at the verses that we described. Go to the ones that I put there, John 12, 23, 27. Jesus himself will say that in this place, you're gonna have suffering and trials. But you need to remember that you are my followers and my followers are my servants. But he's gonna go on to say is that when you are my follower, my servant, you are my friend and I will give you honor. So what's the second thing that we're gonna learn about grace? Grace has gifted us with salvation. So we're familiar with that verse. We've read it already, but let me take you back to verse eight, which is a restatement of verse five, just to make it emphatic. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. Don't miss the parenthetical. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is what, Cornerstone family? It's a gift of God. God has gifted us with this eternal life. This one simple statement flies in the face of all other world religions. Think about this for a moment. Common denominator of every single world religion is that it is based upon works. It's about gaining the approval of whatever deity that they worship 
in order that that deity would show favor towards them and they receive salvation. Take Hinduism as an example. So there are a number of things that Hindus must do as polytheists to reach a certain level of nirvana. One of them is chanting prayers over and over and over. Another is meditative yoga. If you ever talk to a Hindu and you ask about the certainty or assurance of salvation, what you're going to find is that they don't really know. Muslims, Muslims have five pillars. One of those pillars, one of their commands that they must do for salvation is that they must travel to Mecca. All five of these pillars or commands are dependent upon whether they will receive salvation. Testimonies I've heard from many Muslims that are, that are disenchanted with their religion of Islam is that they say there's no assurance. Nobody really knows. Mormons. Mormons, a religion of works, says you have to be baptized. You have to be baptized in the Mormon church. And then you have to have a priestly figure in the Mormon church lay hands on you with the hope that you'll receive the Spirit. And then there's another long list of things that you must do day in and day out. Christianity is the only world religion that says you can't earn your salvation. You can't do enough good to gain God's favor because it's a gift that God chooses to give to you. God says, because I loved you, I sent my one and only son to die on the cross for you, and I'm going to give you a gift of salvation. Go back to verse 8 and 9 together. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Notice his final statement, not by works so that no one can boast. Nobody is going to stand in heaven and say, you know how I got here? Let me just tell you all the things that I did that gave me this space. No way. We're all going to say the same thing. You know how you got there? Same way I got here. By grace through faith. Jesus said, as a merciful God, I understand your plight, and I'm going to step into it and redeem you. Man, that's enough to celebrate, isn't it? We can stop right there, throw a party, and say, God is good to us all the time. Let me show you how Peter frames this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. As it comes on the screen, let's read this together. Are you ready? These trials have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even through refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So I have a question for you. Let's say that you have received faith and have salvation. What does your faith do for you? What is, what is happening from that point? Do you remember last month when the FCC sent out a national text message that said on the 4th of that month that they were gonna do a system alert testing and that simultaneously all of our phones were gonna go off? Man, people were all worked up. They were so upset. What does this mean? Is the government gonna try to control us? And they're like, no. It's an alert system, an emergency alert system. If there's some kind of national disaster, we want to have a way of communicating that, and so we're going to test the system. And just as they promised, on October 4th at 2 p.m., I'm sitting in a meeting. I thought I had my phone turned off, and it started going off, that obnoxious noise and vibrating, and I'm realizing, okay, it worked. And of course, that night, they explained, 
All of you received that message. We've identified that the emergency alerting system has been successful. We know that if it's needed in the days ahead, it's reliable. What Peter and Paul are both saying is that's the case when it comes to your faith. Why does God put you through trials and testings? Because in an emergency, you know that your faith is functioning properly. That when you go through a trial, rather than running to the bottle or to the drugs or to the porn or whatever, you're running to Christ Jesus and you're saying, I need your help. You've given me a gift of faith to have salvation. I need this faith right now in the midst of this trial. And that's the expectation, is that our faith would grow so that we're running to him and receiving the need that we help, that we need in our time of need. So as I make that statement, let me come back to one other question. How do you know that you haven't just prayed a prayer and you really have the gift of faith? What I'm saying is, is that just praying a prayer, does that actually give you faith, this gift that he's talking about? Pastor Mike Churchill is quick to remind us that there's a difference between a knowledge of faith and a saving faith. What does he mean when he makes that statement? He's saying that a lot of people have knowledge, and in that knowledge, a belief in the existence of Jesus Christ. They believe that he came to this earth. Historically, they know that. They would even state that we know that Jesus came back from the dead. But the difference is, is they never put their faith in Christ for their salvation. That's a knowledge of faith. But a saving faith is one that comes to this realization that they're going to give their heart to Christ and realize that day by day, they're going to trust him for every part of their existence, including their salvation. So how do you know if you're that individual that has received that gift and acted upon it? Well, ask yourself, if you were to die and you were to face God and he were to say, why should I let you into my heaven? What would be your answer to that? Would you begin to say, well, I was really, really determined to go to church every week. I really tried to read my Bible, did my very best to do good things, to counter the bad things that I did. And I'm hoping that the good that I did would outweigh the bad. If that's your mindset, you're not saved. You're not saved, bold and simple. That is the assumption that somehow you still think you can gain God's favor. It's only when you come to a place and realize that you can't do anything to get into heaven other than saying, God, forgive me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What is he saying? Poor in spirit means I am, I am in poverty, spiritually speaking, and I can't buy anything, spiritually speaking. I need God's grace. And when you make that decision, when you go forward, then you know that when you're going through trials, they're there to help your faith to grow and to affirm the assurance. If you're here today and you're afraid of dying, you're an individual I really want to hear at this point in the message. Because as a believer, we should not be afraid of dying. There should be an overwhelming confidence that we are going to see Christ Jesus face to face. But if you're afraid of dying, then I would ask you to go back and revisit this passage and ask yourself, have you come to a place where you have transferred your trust to Christ and you're truly believing that what he says is true and out of his love, he's gonna save you? So as we understand why this is so important to Paul, that I want us to go to this question on Wednesday, and that is stop and rejoice. Do you, can you stop and rejoice that your name is written on the book of life? 
I've already referenced the first Peter passage. Read through that and see how God has given you this blessing and your good deeds are meant not to earn salvation, but to bring blessing back to the Lord. Hope that is eternal is a hope that's effectual. Did I repeat that? If your hope is eternal, if it's put in Christ Jesus, then it's effectual. That means that in the midst of your trials, you still have hope because you know that Christ really is in control. And that brings us to the third thing that we see, and that is that grace has gifted us with significance. That you and I have meaning, we have purpose, and we have significance. Watch how this is stated in verse 10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We, Cornerstone family, are God's handiwork. Think about that for a moment. Do you ever dwell on that? That you personally are God's handiwork. Scripture says over and over, Old and New Testament, you were created by God. You were formed in your mother's womb. Before a single day you ever lived, God knew all of them. Your days were numbered. There's countless verses that speak to this reality where Paul says, you and I are the handiwork of God. Now, when you look in the mirror on a Monday or Tuesday, do you feel that way? Are there days where you're like, man, this is the best I got. It's not getting any better today. Doesn't matter how much I do my hair or lack of hair or how much makeup, this is, this is it. That's all I'm bringing to the table. And you're in that place and you're like, not feeling much like the handiwork of God. And if so, I think he could have done a better job. You ever feel that way? But we have to understand the context. We have to understand that in all our weaknesses, all of our flaws, all of our failures, God took all that in account and he says, you were created in Christ Jesus. It's critical that you understand in Christ Jesus to do good works. Not to gain his favor, but through Christ, it's a whole John 15 paradigm that we're attached to Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus, we can actually carry out good works that are going to last. Let me give an example of this. A picture comes on the screen. This is a McAllister family. McAllisters live up in... Camarillo, and they attend the Camarillo Church of Christ. You notice a young man on the left, his name is Luke. Luke is 20 years of age. A year ago, in their little church of 100 people, Luke was going to Trader Joe's with his father, and he kept noticing homeless people and basically felt there's something that should be done. There's something that we need to do to help these individuals. So he had this vision for ministry at his church to do care packages. They called it ministry packets. And so the church every week would gather and they'd fill up these Ziploc bags with non-perishable items like granola bars and they'd put a couple packs of tissues and a small bottle of water and they'd put a Bible verse in it and they'd put two $1 bills. In the last year, this church of 100 people have passed out more than 1,200 packets. And you're like, well, that's pretty impressive. That, 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 yeah, I see that. But what you don't know about the story is that Luke has autism. In fact, Luke's autism is primarily nonverbal. He can't speak. So he's learned at the age of 20 with his iPad to type out his thoughts and ideas. Let me share what he wrote related to his vision for this ministry for his church. He says, I have been given an incredible support system, and it scares me to think about traveling alone in this world, but that is the reality for so many. If I can ease a scared soul, my trials aren't so bad. 
Though he may not be able to articulate the deep theological meaning of Ephesians 2.10, he gets it. He gets that even with his challenges and struggles, he's the handiwork of God created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And he's leading a church of 100 to figure that out. Have you come to the place to realize that all that you have is God's? Please write these three words down. They've been said before in this church. I'm going to say them again. Time, treasure, and talents. Time, treasure, and talents. Let's go back to grace. All that you have is a gift of grace. Your time is a gift of grace. Your talents, gift of grace. Your treasure is a gift of grace. So I come back to this idea that Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mount. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt. So how do you use your time? Granted, we have to go to work. You work 40 hours a week. You've got to do laundry. You have a variety of things you have to do in life. But in your spare time, how do you steward? It's an issue of stewardship. How do you steward your time? Do you steward it for selfish reasons? Is it always about yourself? Is it about your hobbies? Is it about your recreation? It's about this is my time. This is precious. I hear that from people who profess Christ. This is my time. This is my, I've had people say, I don't, I'm not coming to church because it's my one day to sleep in. What that's saying is my time is my time and it's precious to me. It's not your time. If you put your faith in Christ, your time is God's. How about your talents? I've said this before. I'm going to repeat it today. I am blessed to know some brilliant people. But I would say over and over that you are some of the most talented, intelligent, gifted people I know on this earth. God has blessed you with degrees, experience, knowledge, IQs. He's saying, I'm giving you these by grace so that you would store these in creative ways to help others be witnesses of my goodness and my grace. And then treasures. I'll say that again as well. We are the wealthiest nation on earth. Even your teenagers are wealthier than the average adult in two-thirds of the world. You go to Romania, you go to a Europe, even in a European country where 80% of the people are living in poverty in Romania. And you look at what we have in our world here in America and our children have, and it doesn't compare And we're called with this great wealth to steward it in a way that brings glory to God and doesn't accumulate more possessions. So we're constantly being called to say, you have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. I want you on Friday to to spend some time. What has, answer the question, what has Christ created you to do? In many cases, you're gonna say exactly what I'm doing. Praise God for that. But go back and look at the passage where Paul is basically saying the same thing to Timothy. He says to them, for the rich people in your church, remind them not to take pride in their riches. Remind them to steward their riches. Remind them, and he says the same thing that Jesus said, remind them to store up treasures for themselves in heaven, to do good works. And when you see that, hopefully, and I believe it's going to affirm you and inspire you to keep going. And it brings us to the big idea, the take-home truth, which is grace has gifted us with goodness. If we summarize all of this, that God's grace has gifted us with his goodness. Out of curiosity, do you ever use these little laundry sheets, scented laundry sheets? 
pull the clothes out of the washer and you put them in the dryer and you throw these things in. As soon as you pull them out of the box, the, the little laundry room is filled with the scent. And then when you pull the clothes out of the dryer, whether you put them on the couch or the bed, the room itself is filled with the scent of these. It's immersed in that. We are told by the Apostle Paul that we are the aroma of Christ Jesus. That when we, ideally, with the Holy Spirit in us, when we enter a room, we represent this this aroma that fills, this scent that reminds others of the goodness of God. And that's seen in our testimony, our words, our attitudes. So as you go out today, remind yourself that as you go in, you ultimately have the means to fill the room with God's goodness. Would you please bow your heads with me? Father, I wanna first begin and say if there's anybody online or there's anybody here in this service that believe in you, but have not actually put their trust in you for their salvation, that they're still hoping that something they've done is going to gain them favor. Would you correct that idea from this passage and help them to see that the whole reason Jesus came to earth to die on the cross was to pay for those sins. It would make no sense if somehow we could earn our way to heaven for Jesus to die for us. And I pray that if that's the case, they'd come forward at the end and pray with someone to have another brother or sister to affirm them. And if there's anybody here today that's afraid of dying, in the same way, I pray that they would come and be prayed for so that they would know the truth of what we talked about today and that there's no fear when it comes to Christ Jesus. For the rest of my brothers and sisters, many who I know are going through significant trials and tribulations, I pray that they come back to the same faith that brought them salvation and be reminded that it's that faith that's gonna get them through. It's the same Lord Jesus who came back from the dead, seated at the right hand, that's there to help and assist them with greater wisdom and discernment in their plight. I pray too that they would come be prayed for, that they would realize that you don't expect us to do this trip alone, that we're journeying with other believers that can encourage us and pray over us. And I ask this all in your son's precious name.